What is up, everyone? Welcome back to a special Halloween edition of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Martinez. Not having a fantastic day. It seems like I'm saying not having a fantastic day more and more often. Not because it's Halloween. It's, it's literally just another day for me. Not participating. Not by choice. The one, I cannot stand Halloween. You, you guys know this. And this is the one year I wanted to participate. And it seems like Halloween this year was canceled. As soon as Steven wants to get involved, everyone just says, you know what, Halloween's overrated, forget it, we're not going to participate. So I'm not doing anything today, I'm not. I'm, I'm doing this podcast, trying to get in an early one, a quick one, before all the, all the little uh, trick-or-treaters come hoarding my door for free candy, uh, and I'm not, that's it. It's, it's really just another Thursday afternoon for your boy. So that's kind of disappointing, it is freezing cold, okay, and when I say freezing, I mean like 50 degrees. It, it's just intolerable for me. I, I know for, you know, some, some people who live in, in Wisconsin, Colorado, I think like Iowa or is it Idaho? Probably both of those states are really cold. Uh, both of the Dakotas probably rolling their eyes at me. This is like their summer weather right now. It's like 50 degrees. It, 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 I'm freezing. And you're probably going to hear me stutter a lot today. And I just had to take a pause because I was shaking Probably going to hear me stutter a lot because it is that cold in our um, postmodern downtown metropolitan, metropolitan see, they're already, already stuttering, uh, multi-million dollar uh, recording studio. It, it's freezing in here, okay? So it, it's going to be a rough one. I will say this, though. I think I'd rather take the cold um, podcast recording sessions over the hot ones. I will say that because during the summer... I mean, man, it, it, it really got up there in temperature. And when it's cold in here, you know, it, it's obviously it's freezing, uncomfortable. Neither of them are, are desirable predicaments. But this one is a little, you can, you get over it after a while. Your body temperature will kind of adjust. adjust. And um, there's more stuff to talk about. You forget about it after a while. You can't really escape the heat. As much as I love the warm months, when you're sitting in an oven and you're just talking to nobody for an hour and a half, it kind of starts... To, it, it starts to wear on you a little bit. So I think I'll take this for podcasting specifically, and I'm stuttering already. You're going to get ready for that. It's going to be another hour uh, worth of me stuttering and shaking. I think I'd rather take the cold weather for podcasting specifically, not for living conditions. I hate it. So it might be a good thing that I'm not going out tonight trick-or-treating or partying or socializing in any shape, form, or fashion whatsoever. Because uh, I, I don't function well in the cold, as you've already heard, and you're going to hear over the course of this Halloween crowd noise. So now, let's get down to brass text. Enough of Halloween. It's probably the last time you're going to hear it out of my mouth, the word Halloween, um, after that one. Because we got some stuff to get to. Last night, Game 7 in the World Series. Maybe the best game of the series. It was kind of funny, because even though it was a seven-game series, obviously dead even it went the distance uh no games were really close none of the games were were even really competitive and even last night you look at the score is 62 is a four-run game uh but it played a lot closer than what the score uh may tell you we're gonna react to game seven we'll probably do that first and they get down to our college football picks breaking news heartbreaking news actually the 15-game win streak has died. It's over. Uh, Notre Dame, or rather Notre Shame, failed us last week against Michigan, maybe the most overrated program in the nation are the Michigan Wolverines, but to their credit, they demolished the Notre Shame uh, flimsy Irish. So the, the win streak is over. It, we had a great run. Of course, I wanted to keep it going, but we went five straight weeks going 3-0. Don't be sad that it's over. Smile that it happened. It's over. We're going to try and get another win streak started this week, but I will say this. While one win streak dies, two more shall take its place. We did go 3-0 last week in the NFL. First time this season we have gone 3-0 during the year. It's unbelievable. We went three and zero last uh, last week, and so uh, we had a good week in the NFL. Still a winning week in college football. 
can't be mad at that whatsoever. Cannot be mad um, at having a, win- a winning week in college football. Wanted to go 3-0. and Didn't do it. But we had a 3-0 and week in the NFL. So there's always something to look forward to. We will be looking to build on that 3-0 and uh, streak in the NFL. And we will be looking to get another 3-0 and streak started in college football. And then we have quote of the week, uh, as always. So let's get right into it. Let's get the show on the road. Let's get out of this icebox that is our, our multi-million dollar recording studio. It, we spared no expense. I'm looking around, and it's, uh, it's an environment. I will say that. We are in an ecosystem, and we do live in a society. So with that being said, last night, Game 7 of the World Series, the Washington Nationals taking on the Houston Astros. Spoiler alert, you may, not, you may have already heard the Washington Nationals are World Series champions. They do defeat the Houston Astros 6-2 to two in seven, Zach Greinke dominant uh, through six and a third uh, inning, one run innings. He does give up a home run to Anthony Rendon, which tied the game at one, or excuse me, that ex- that uh, cut the lead from two to nothing to two to one. Did Anthony Rendon? They go to the bullpen. AJ Hinch does does not turn to Garrett Cole um, as the first reliever or the first line of defense out of the bullpen. Uh, and they, uh, Zach Grinke gave up another uh, base hit after the Rendon home run. They pull out Zach Grinke. I believe he walked a batter. Um, ne- nevertheless, there was a runner on. They, they go to the bullpen, and Howie Kendrick, the NLDS Grand Slam hero, he goes yard, takes the lead 3-2, to two, and it just kind of all fell off the rails uh, after that for the Houston Astros, the bullpen. Every button that A.J. Hinch was pushing, um, it, it just exploded. And it, it never, they never had a chance after that. Final score goes to six to two. Now I'm not going to kill him for not going to Garrett Cole, um, and here's why: they wanted to use him as as uh, as a closer. They wanted him to go potential for sure nine. They're coming in the ninth inning, potentially go eight and nine. Um, and here's what I will say: this they did not go to him immediately after. Um, Zach Greinke, and they added two runs to that score, and they ended up taking a lead in the seventh inning, did the Washington Nationals. And I will say this, you can't, you can't go to a starter out of the bullpen who's never come out of the bullpen in his major league career in, what, in the middle of an inning, right, with a runner already on. That's not the, that's not the moment you bring in Garrett Cole, in my, in my opinion. I, I don't know how you can bring him in with a runner already on the Nationals offense finally waking up. Zach Grinky, let's give a round of applause to Zach Grinky. He was dominant, dominant last night. I mean, they, they couldn't touch him. His pitch count was, I believe it was th- at 60 through six innings. And then, like, that's, it, was, it was perfect. Zach Grinky was, was very near perfect. He only gave up one hit and then the home run and a walk. It kind of uh, escaped him a little bit in the seventh inning. But up until that point, I mean, he was dominant. I get that Garrett Cole wanted to come in and wanted to go maybe from seven all the way to nine on two days rest, a la Madison Bumgarner. Uh, that was not the choice that A.J. Hinch made. I don't disagree with him there. I don't disagree with him not going to Garrett Cole in the middle of an inning. But after the seventh inning, after they got out of that down one run, I don't see why you can't have Garrett Cole carry it the rest of the way and then hand it off to Roberto Asuna. That, I believe, is where the things kind of fell apart for the Astros. And I'm not, I'm not going to kill A.J. Hinch because that was probably the, the one. He had a bad night last night. He, he really did, uh, did A.J. Hinch. He did not make the best moves, shall we say, or put his team in the best position to win the World Series last night. But I'm not going to put it all on the Astros because I want to give the Washington Nationals some credit. They won Game 7 last night. When it came down to a one-game, winner-take-all, Game 7, do-or-die scenario, the Washington Nationals came to play. They go down 2 nothing, and it could have been a lot worse, actually. Uh, Max Scherzer gave up uh, one run, a solo bomb to Yuli Gurriel, and then he gives up another run. I, I want to say it was the fourth or fifth inning, and there were runners on after they scored. There were still runners at the corners. It could have been a lot worse uh, for Max Scherzer. It was not terrible. He gave up two runs. He actually had a really good day. <laughs> but if, when, he, when you're Max Scherzer, two runs is like, you know, that's kind of a bad day for Max Scherzer by his own standards. He pitched well. He was not as dominant as... He was out-dueled by Zach Grinke, I would say. Uh, but he pitched well enough, and he, he, he stopped the bleeding 
And he gave his team an opportunity to win, and he walks away with a World Series win. So what more could you ask for from Max Scherzer? Uh, had a good day last night, or had a good game last night, rather. But, you know, when you're Max Scherzer and you give up two runs, it feels like, you know, things kind of got away from you. From any, anyone else, you give them two runs in the World Series in Game 7, they will take that 10 times out of 10. And I'm sure Max Scherzer uh, can sleep well, or did sleep well with his performance last night, knowing that they won the game. It'd be a lot different if they lost 2-1 to one or 2-0, then that'd be a different story. But they didn't, so uh, they didn't. They win the World Series last night. The Nationals, came, they, where they struggled when they went down 3-2 in Washington, they had kind of the Dodger syndrome. Just anemic with runners on, and specifically with runners in scoring position. I believe they have one hit over the course of those three games in Washington with runners in scoring position. If I'm not mistaken, they, hit, they went, I want to say, one for 32 or something like that. I mean, something that is just atrocious. You don't win games like that, and they didn't. They lost three straight at home. And then last night, it was the exact opposite. They got the hits when they needed them more than ever. When there was runners on, when you were trying to get Zach Greinke out of the game, Anthony Rendon gets a solo shot, wakes up the offense, kind of puts Zach Greinke on his heels. Then he walks a batter. Then Howie Kendrick comes on and he gets a three, or excuse me, a two-run bomb to put him up three to two. And then after that, once they take the lead, they didn't stop there. They kept pouring it on. They kept adding runs. Soto drives in another run. That puts it a 4-2. Then another, I think the next inning, they had a two-run inning, uh, making it the final score 6-2. to two. And then I was watching the game. I was watching the, uh, the game with my pal uh, Ben Babadook, friend of the show. And I was, we were both saying, who do, you, who do you make as World Series MVP? Is it Soto? Is it Rendon? Is it Eaton? Is it Howie Kendrick with the go-ahead shot? Is it Strasburg, Scherzer? Who do you make the World Series MVP? Do you make it co-MVPs with all five of those guys? Because, and that, that's why they won the World Series, did the Washington Nationals. It wasn't one guy. It wasn't two guys. It was, it, was, it was top to bottom. It was the entire team. They were the perfect example of a team getting hot at the perfect time. And that's not to say, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to qualify them and say, well, they were the hotter team last night. That's why they won. No, they were the more complete team over the course of this series and over the course of the postseason. They did it all. It wasn't just last night. It wasn't just a series. They hit with runners on against the Dodgers. They struck out Dodgers when they struck out Dodgers hitters when the Dodgers did have runners on. The Dodgers never capitalized uh, when they had runners on. The Nationals did. They won that series. They they steamrolled the, the St. Louis Cardinals. They do it all there. And then when they had to play a perfect series, when they had to do it all again against the best team in baseball during the regular season, the Houston Astros, they did it. They pitched well. Their bullpen was phenomenal. Phenomenal. They came in with the worst bullpen ERA in the postseason. The worst bullpen ERA in the postseason, and their bullpen was a strength for them during October. Last night, they get runners. They get key hits with runners on. They go down in Game 7, 2-0, on the road. And they don't shut down. They, They stay in the fight. They never gave up, and they never quit. And that's why they won last night. It was, the enti- it was an entire team effort. Similar, similar to last year's Red Sox team. J.D. Martinez didn't really have a, very good, didn't have a very good World Series last year. He didn't. But he got hits when they needed him. Mookie Betts did not dominate the entire World Series as we all expected him to because he's a superstar. But he got hits when they needed him to. In fact, last year's World Series MVP was a guy that was a platoon player. Steve Pierce. He was on and off of the bench last year. He's a platoon guy. He won World Series MVP. It was an entire team effort for the Red Sox last year, and it was an entire team effort for the Nationals last night and this year. And that's why the World Series champions. They weren't counting on any one guy. They were counting on every one in that clubhouse. And credit to Davey Martinez. Outmanaged guys like Dave Roberts. And you could even say, really, A.J. Hinch, Specifically last night over the course of the series, he pushed the right buttons, in his bull, right buttons in his bullpen. He knew who to go to and when. And really, you could say this, this series could have been over in Washington if they get a few base hits with runners in scoring position because they were terrible in Washington, specifically offensively. They were awful uh, at, at home. But credit to them, they're the first team ever to win four straight road games in the postseason 
or excuse me, in the World Series to win a championship. It's never happened before where the road teams have gone 7-0 and in a seven-game series, and that was the difference. They never quit. They never got down. And they never left the fight. That's their motto, stay in the fight. And that's, I mean, it, could, it couldn't have been any truer for any team but to stay in the fight. And that's exactly what they did. They got runners when they, they got hits with runners on when they needed them. They got big outs and shut down teams, or shut down other offenses when, when they needed to, like they did against the Dodgers and, they, and like they did last night with Max Scherzer reeling a little bit. Max Scherzer wasn't as dominant Max Scherzer self. He was very good. Even, even Max Scherzer at 80 or 90% is still better than probably 80 or 90% of all of baseball. And he was about at 80 or 90% last night. He's coming off the, uh, the hellacious back spasms. Still only gave up two runs. It could have been worse, but it wasn't because he took care of business. And the offense backed him up. They were getting shut down by Zach Greinke. Eventually, they start wearing him down, and they break through, and they win the World Series. So that is my reaction to Game 7 last night. The Nationals, were, they, were, they were the most complete team in the postseason this year. They were. Actually, at one point, were terrible during the regular season. 19-31 and 31 was their record at one point. They were talking about trading away Strasburg, Scherzer. They were talking about blowing it up. And then less than 24 hours ago, they win the World Series. It's unbelievable. So congratulations to the Washington Nationals and to their fans. Their fans have been waiting a very long time to see a champion uh, in, in Washington, D.C. Congratulations on winning the World Series last night. And congratulations goes to me as well. A much smaller feat for me. I did not win the World Series. I didn't even win the lottery. I just went 3 no. Uh, in picking games in the NFL last week. But still, hey, I mean, we all have our uh, accomplishments. Some guys win the World Series. Other guys pick three games correctly in one week. You know, I mean, doesn't, it doesn't denounce either. Neither, neither is diminished by, by either accomplishment. They're both respectable. And so we're going to do things a little bit differently uh, this week. Not that anyone's really even going to notice, but I feel like uh, bringing that up. We're going to do the NFL first. Because for college football, while we did go two and one last weekend, we still are on a sh- we are on a shred. We're tearing away at college football, even still, with the two and one week last week. Uh, we're going to be doing our college football playoff standings currently, at this moment in time, at the time of this recording, and it could very well it will change by just this Saturday because there are games that will have serious playoff implications on the line, and next week. Uh, we there's another monster game, and then I, I want to say like three or four weeks from now, another huge game. So at this moment in time, I want to give you my college football playoff standings and what's going to happen. I feel uh, moving forward. So we're gonna have a big college segment. So we're gonna do the NFL first, and we want to do the NFL first because we're on a tear in the NFL now. One streak ends in college football, another one gets started in the NFL. That's how we do things here. So we went three and zero last week. And that brings us to 500 on the season. We are now 12 and 12. Fantastic. We are 12 and 12 on the year. We're back to 500, back to square one. It's not where we want to be, but we kind of started behind the eight ball a little bit this year. We struggled over the course of a few weeks in the NFL, and we're finally starting to get things going. And we want to get above 500 and get as high as we possibly can with our winning percentage, and we're going to get it going. We're going to keep it going. We have one week. We're 3-0. We're on a three-game win streak in the NFL. We want to keep it going. Last week, we had the Vikings on Thursday Night Football. Give me that one. I'll take that 10 times out of 10 over the Redskins. That was easy. Then we have uh, 49ers over the Panthers. That one seemed like a really competitive game on paper. 49ers ran away with it. They just destroyed uh, Kyle Allen in that offense, which I felt they would. Kyle Allen has been... Uh, uh, above advertised, I guess we could say. He's been, he's been better than what we thought he was going to be. He, he wasn't going to be able to pull that nonsense against Uncle Sherman and the Niners. And then we had, uh, what did we have? The Packers and the Chiefs, another pretty much gimme. Uh, without Pat Mahomes, the Packers are going to take that one, and they did. Uh, so we get those were our three games last week, and here we go on to this week. Again, another gimme on Thursday night. And... A terrible game, and again, you already know how I feel about Thursday Night Football. It needs to be abolished and thrown into the dumpster and never spoken of again. But in the meantime, we have these dump Trump games like we do tonight. The San Francisco 49ers. Great team, right? Wait for it. On the road against 
the Arizona Cardinals. Like, that's the game that they, they gave us tonight. And even still, on paper, when they scheduled this game, this was not even as interesting three months ago as it is now. Because no one really expected the 49ers to be, well, I don't think anyone outside of San Francisco and Levi Stadium expected the Niners to be this good. I mean, they're, they're dominant. They're, they're dynamic, and they're a fun team to watch. I don't think anyone would have, would have expected those adjectives to be applied to the San Francisco 49ers in the preseason. I thought they'd be good. I did. But I didn't think they would be this good. I have to admit, they, I mean, they're, they're world beaters. They're, they're unstoppable right now. They're undefeated. And then they get the Arizona Cardinals, who are terrible. They're, they're just no good. Uh, they're on, they had a three-game win streak going. I don't care. They're not going to win that division. They're going to come in last place in that division. Not truly sold on Cliff Kingsbury still. It's been, what, half a season? Maybe a little bit over half one season. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the biggest Cliff Kingsbury fan uh, in the world. I will say Kyler Murray has played well. I know you're expecting me to tear him down and rip him to shreds. He has played well this season, and that's why I will stop well. He didn't have a Baker Mayfield rookie campaign. Baker Mayfield broke the rookie touchdown record. was phenomenal. I think Kyler Murray has played well with what he has in front of him. He does have David Johnson and does have Larry Fitz, but the Cardinals aren't a very good team as a whole. And Kyler Murray has played very well this year. I will give him credit where credit is due. That ends tonight. He's not pulling any of these stunts on Uncle Sherman and the Niners, okay? This defense is probably the best in football. I'm sure people in New England would have something to say about that. But I would say, I mean, it's so close. The defense between the 49ers, and the New England Patriots. It's, it's just so close. The disparity between them, but you can't measure it. And, or as some people like to say, measure. You can't really choose between the 49ers and the and New England Patriots. They're just, they're so good. Both of them are so, and they're actually constructed very similarly, actually. There's no really, no real superstars on either offense, except for, you, know, you got Tom Brady. I mean, of course, he's a superstar. But other than that, the Patriots don't really have any world beaters on offense. They released Josh Gordon, Antonio Clown. That was, that was a mistake. They don't really have any studs on offense outside of Tom Brady. 49ers have zero. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, again, it, it's not because they, they're not winning because of him. Okay. They're not losing because of him, because of him either. I will give him that much, but he's not the reason that the 49ers find themselves undefeated. It, it, it's hard for me to say who's better, the Niners or the Patriots as far as defense. It's hard for me to say who's better as far as a team as a whole. But in the meantime, the 49ers get the Arizona Cardinals. I will take this run, I will take this one running away San Francisco 49ers by 800 points tonight. Uh, so there's another gimme. We're going to 4-0. Then things get a little bit more tricky. Slightly. Uh, we have the Minnesota Vikings on the road in Arrowhead against the Chiefs. Seems like on paper it'd be run away, pick the Chiefs. Unfortunately, no, because Pat Mahomes, I don't, he's not looking like he's going to play this week. He's not going to play this week, and that does cripple the Kansas City Chiefs. It, it does. What happens if you take Tom Brady off of the Patriots? Things probably start to derail, right? Pat Mahomes is the, the, the backbone, the heart, the soul, the face of this franchise. Without him, the Chiefs aren't going anywhere, and it's why I still believe in them when they lost Tyreek Hill, when they lost Kareem Hunt, they had no running game. I said they had Pat Mahomes. No one else does. They're going to be really good. Now let's put the shoe on the other foot. What is that team without Pat Mahomes? They're not very good. They're not beating the Minnesota Vikings. And the Vikings, who I picked to win win the NFC North preseason, it looks like they're finally starting to get things going. The wheels are finally turning for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. That offense is getting going. They're using Dalvin Cook responsibly. I said preseason Dalvin Cook was going to be a, a superstar this year. He was going to have a breakout year, and he did. But there was almost an over-reliance on Dalvin Cook to start the year. Um, and now they've kind of figured it out. They're getting Kirk Cousins more involved. They're putting him in situations to uh, succeed. They're not, they, I think they understand what they have with Kirk Cousins. He's not a takeover-the-game superstar quarterback. But he's also... A, a guy that can win you games. Kirk Cousins is going to go out and win you some games, get you some key first downs, especially, I mean, with Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Are you kidding me? Like, 
They, he has the pieces around him. They still have a very good defense. I will take the Minnesota Vikings to beat the Chiefs. And again, I said this last week about the Chiefs when they were debating about starting Pat Mahomes or not. You don't need this game. That was last week against the Packers, an NFC North opponent. You don't need that game. You're going to win your division. You're not catching New England. You're, you're just not. Um, you're going to win your division. You're going to get in the playoffs. You don't, need these, you don't need this game. That was last week. And now they play another NFC North team. You don't really need this game. You don't. This has nothing to do with the AFC. has nothing to do with your division. And it really has nothing to do with seeding because the Patriots have already won the AFC anyway. You don't need this game. Don't rush back Pat Mahomes. It's not a big deal if you lose, and you're probably going to lose because it has, this has nothing to do with your playoff implications. So no big deal, Chiefs fans. If you lose, when you lose this week, don't be upset about it. it I mean, you're going to make the playoffs. And Pat Mahomes will be back, and he'll be healthy. And at that point, you have a chance against anybody. So now, finally... Um, the Sunday night game. Well, speaking about the, we've been talking a lot about the Patriots. Uh, Patriots in Baltimore against the Ravens. Much stiffer competition for the Patriots this week than for the 49ers. But I will give the same sort of defense in, I'm in taking the Patriots. Um, in picking the Patriots, I'm, I'm going to defend myself in the same way. Lamar Jackson, and he's been better than Kyler Murray. He's been he's been stellar. Lamar Jackson's been a superstar this year. At this point, he's the best quarterback from last year's draft. The big five, Darnold, Baker, Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Rosen. He's by far, by far the best quarterback. And he was taken last out of the big five. He's not pulling in that junk today against, or this weekend against the Patriots. It's not happening. Lamar Jackson is great. He's tons of fun to watch. He's, he's overnight changed, changed the franchise. Takes over for Joe Flacco, and the trajectory of that franchise flips in a matter of seconds. Lamar Jackson is a stud. Absolute superstar. Already. He's not doing anything against the New England Patriots defense. He's just not. They've, def- they've shut down everyone they have faced. And I will, okay, in defense of Lamar Jackson, they have not faced a quarterback nearly as talented as Lamar Jackson. They faced Ben Roethlisberger right out of the gate. Ben Roethlisberger probably on the way to the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, the Patriots, I mean, excuse me, the Steelers have been like a shell of themselves this season. I'm not even counting. That was way back in week one, and Ben Roethlisberger's not even playing this season anymore. He's been hurt. So, can't re- I'm, I'm going to kind of throw that one out the window. Other than Ben Roethlisberger, they haven't faced anyone else remotely as talented as Lamar Jackson currently. They face Sam Darnold, who I love, but he's having a rough stretch, and he plays for the Jets. So, I mean, that's, I mean, Sam Darnold can only do so much. Um, Lamar Jackson's not going to be able to run around. You think Bill Belichick's going to, not going to have an answer? You think he's just going to be on the sidelines up, hands up in the air, confused, not knowing how to stop Lamar Jackson with this defense? This may be the best defense that the Patriots have had under the Belichick era. They are utterly dominant. And I like Lamar Jackson, but I don't see him running around and throwing across the field and just tearing up the Patriots defense. Uh, this one might get ugly, actually. This one might actually get out of hand if Bill Belichick really starts to confuse Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh. I'm uh, taking the Patriots with this one running away. Not, not as wide of a margin as 49ers Cardinals because I'm, I'm going to put a little bit of, of respect on the Ravens' name, but I don't expect it to be very close either. Not taking the Patriots by 800. I will take them by, let's say, 14, 17, something like that. It'll be a comfortable win, I feel, on the road for the Patriots. And we will have two more remaining undefeated teams by next week. And so now on to our college picks where we had our all-time winning streak broken last week by the Notre Shame fighting Irish. It's, it's a crying shame, and no pun intended. Um, it, it's unfortunate, but again, don't cry that it's over. Smile that it happened. We went five straight weeks going 3-0. Can't ask for much more than that. And at this point of the season, I don't know if mathematically we can actually top that. So we might have to look uh, ahead to next season, which is okay. We have an all-time record now in the Crowd Noise history books. Can't get mad at that. We did go 2-1. It's not like we had a terrible week. We went 2-1. We had a winning week. That brings our uh, total this year, our record in college football, to 22 and four. Yeah, cry. It's a big deal. We lost a game last week and our record's now twenty-two and four. Big deal. Uh NFL, I didn't I don't know, I don't know if I said the record. We're twelve and twelve. 
500. I think I know I said 500. I don't know if I said the actual record, but or 12 and 12 in the NFL for whatever that's worth. But in college, we are 22 and four, 15 game winning streak snapped at the hands of Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But we're looking to turn it around. We had a winning week. It's it, it's not the end of the world. We're gonna have another. We're gonna start another win streak right now. Last week we had Ohio State and Wisconsin. Gimme. Uh, then we had LSU and Auburn. That game was actually really close. That was a really close, hard-fought game for LSU. It wasn't Death Valley. I think that paid dividends for them. They do end up pulling away and winning semi-comfortably, I guess you could say, uh, for the Bayou Bengals. And then we had Notre Dame uh, beating Michigan. They actually got—they weren't even—they shouldn't have even been allowed on the same field. They were destroyed by Michigan. It wasn't even close last week. So we're going to try and turn it around right here. And we have some tough games. I, I'm going to admit— it's going to be kind of hard for me to go 3-0 this week. I'm just going to be honest with you. These games are going to be really, really hard uh, to read. And then after we pick these three games, that we have our college football playoff standings at the current moment in time. So without further ado, no more stalling, no more waiting. Here we go. First game, number nine, Utah, on the road in Seattle against Washington. I really, 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 really like the Huskies. They're unranked. They're probably not going to win the Pac-12 they're probably going to be end up in the Sun Bowl, and yet I love the Huskies. I love Jacob Eadson. They have, I love Chris Peterson. Obviously, how can you not? I love them at home, very nearly beating Oregon last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, very nearly beating Oregon. They were up 14, and then you know Herbie fully loaded just took over that one. I'm not a believer in Utah. They still only have one loss to USC. I'm not buying in. I'm just not buying in to the Utah Utes. And maybe it's my fault. Maybe because they're Utah and I'm only buying into name brand value right now because they're Utah and they're playing Washington. They have Jacob Eason, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the country uh, this year. I'm actually going to take Washington at home and derail uh, any chance Utah has of getting into the college football playoff or even potentially winning the Pac-12. This will have some pretty significant implications uh, when it comes to championship week uh, in the West Coast for the Pac-12 Conference of Champions. Now, on to number, the next game. The Pac-12 has two teams, two in the top 10. Where the heck did that come from? And I'm the Pac-12 aficionado, and I had no idea that there was even one team. Well, I knew Oregon, and I was shocked that Oregon was number seven. And then I saw that Utah's number nine. Excuse me? I had... I had no idea. It was a shock to learn that the Pac-12 has two teams, not just ranked, but two teams in the top 10 in the nation. Oregon's actually like on the outside looking in. They're creeping up on teams trying to get into the playoff. Where did that come from? I have, I have no idea. I was shocked to learn that this morning. Number seven, Oregon. The Ducks go on the road to the Coliseum to play USC at the Coliseum. Oh, I said Coliseum twice. I tried to, I tried to get real cool, and then I, then I messed it up. That's what happens. Um, when you try to try to finesse it a little bit too much, you tend to fall on your face. But anyway, they play at the Coliseum against USC at the Coliseum in the Coliseum. Coliseum. They play USC. And this is actually one of the tougher games to pick. Because again, USC, one of the most inconsistent teams in the nation. They did s- sneak out a win. They snuck out a boulder last week with a win on Friday night. Uh, did not play well at all. Specifically, Keaton Slovis made some just like watching the game. Some of the decisions he was making, it's, it just makes you, you you can't wrap your head. You don't see the logic around the decisions that he makes. Like sometimes you can watch a game and say, "Well, I don't agree with that decision," but I see where he's coming from. That was not the case watching Keaton Slovis last week. To his credit, he did lead him down the field in the fourth quarter on a game-winning drive. The defense stood tall. They stopped Colorado and what was a tough environment. Playing in Boulder is tougher than people think. You're playing against atmosphere. You're playing against the weather. Specific, again, when you're USC, kind of like me, if it's 50 degrees, it's, it's freezing. So they played in tough conditions at night during the week. That's something that people really don't take into consideration when picking games is week, weeknight games. Those are really, really tough to play in. They were able to get out a, a win in a very tough environment. It's not happening this week, okay? I'm not picking Keaton Slovis, okay, who I'm still not sold. I'm not going to bury him, but I haven't seen enough from him to really give him my vote of confidence. I'm not picking him to go up against Herbie fully loaded, Justin Herbert, 
and number seven Oregon. Even if they are playing at the Coliseum, Coliseum squared, I'm I'm not taking them to win that game. I think Oregon's a little bit too deep, a little bit too experienced. This is going to be another one of those games where, you know, I think USC will have a chance to win. This will be a close game, and that's why I'm saying it's such a hard game for me to pick because you don't know what USC team you're getting on any given Saturday or Friday night for that matter, going back to last week. You don't know what team you're going to get. They could be the best team in the Pac-12, and they're actually still in the running to win the Pac-12 South, get in the Pac-12 title, and potentially mess around and go play at the Rose Bowl. As bad as it's been for USC this year, they still have a chance to go win a Rose Bowl. Unbelievable. This game will be close. I think Oregon and Justin Herbert, Justin Herbert specifically, is going to be the difference in this game. It's going to come down to quarterback play. It's going to come down to coaching, in which both cases, Oregon is superior to USC. Now on to a real game that people are actually going to watch. And this game has serious playoff implications. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, the best name for a rivalry in college football. I'm not here for a debate. Number eight, Georgia against number six, Florida, the Gators in what is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Now we can exhale. One of the, this is an early playoff game. Okay, This is a play-in game is Georgia and Florida. Whoever loses this game is done. Okay, it's bottom line, they're finished. And you can argue that Florida already is finished losing to LSU. LSU's a phenomenal team. Phenomenal. I mean, that's not a bad loss to have. But again, when you have one loss in the SEC during the regular season, as uh, both of these teams do, um, it's hard to get into the playoff because you're almost guaranteed to lose again because the SEC is so deep. Everyone is going to play everyone, and anyone can beat anyone on any given Saturday it's a very deep conference you look at I mean these are just these are the second tier teams in the S in the SEC Georgia Florida Auburn then you look at the upper skill you have Alabama LSU I mean it, it's just such a deep conference we all know that we all know how great the SEC is loser of this game is eliminated from playoff contention I'm actually going to take Florida I've I liked what I've seen from them this season they played LSU very tough LSU is the best team in the country they're the best team in the nation are the LSU Tigers, and Florida played them real tough, okay? They, they did. They gave them all they can handle. Ended up losing by 14 anyway, but LSU's just that good. Georgia has had some kind of some duds, okay? Against Notre Dame at home, they did not look dominant. They won that game, but they did not blow Notre Dame out of the water, okay? They didn't dominate Notre Dame the way Michigan did, and then they have that huge, I mean, upset loss. Like, how does that even happen? Uh, did Georgia. I'm taking Florida to win the world's largest outdoor cocktail party uh, for the 2019 edition and stay alive in the college football playoff hunt. And speaking of that college football playoff hunt, it's getting around that time where we start debating who's in. Then you put this team over that team. Does an undefeated team from this conference trounce a one-loss team from this conference? Do we reward conference champions or non-conference champions? It's, and I love it. I love those debates. You can go on all day with different stats, with different opinions, the eye test, this, that, and the other strength of schedule. We're going to start that madness right now. And it's going to get confusing. And that's the beauty of college football, is that there is no definitive answer when picking who's in, who's the best team in the country. And things can change in, in the blink of an eye. And they're going to change. This segment i'm gonna tell you right now is not going to age well because just this saturday two days from now we have number eight georgia and number six florida one of those teams is getting eliminated so that's probably going to derail maybe the entire conversation for the sec that i'm going to give right now it's going to change over the course of every single week and then next week we have number one lsu against number two alabama that's going to change and shake up a lot in the college football playoff. And then I think three or four weeks from now, we get Penn State, Ohio State. And that's not including any of the conference championship games. It's going to get nuts in college football. We're going to start to try and decipher the madness right now. So as I just said, Georgia and Florida play this weekend. One of those teams will be eliminated from the conversation or from the equation. So there's that. You at least get to write off one team. And that kind of frees up a little bit of space. Or maybe muddies things up, perhaps. Because you still have teams that are wild cards, like Oklahoma with one loss. Ugly loss, Kansas State. Oregon with one loss. But they have 
Their one loss was to Auburn way back when in week one. Should they remain a one-loss team, they'd be on a 14-game win streak, including a conference championship. It'd be hard to ignore the Ducks uh, in that scenario, seeing that their only loss was to an SEC team on a neutral field. I mean, they'd have a pretty strong case with the Oregon Ducks. Um, Penn State, Ohio State, either of which will have one loss because they will play each other. Like I said, they play on, when do they play? I thought I had my notes. Are, oh, they play November 23rd, which is, let me check my calendar here while it loads for a second. November 23rd is one, two, three weeks from this Saturday. And then next Saturday, we get Alabama LSU. One of those teams, spoiler alert, is going to lose. So you're going to have a one-loss team from the SEC. You're going to have a one-loss team from the Big Ten. And again, this is ideally. We don't know if those teams are going to lose again moving forward after these games. So you have... Let's count them off here. Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Penn State, Georgia, and Florida. Because they haven't played each other. We're going to count both of them for the meantime. All undefeated and any combination of one loss. Now let's add the teams on the outside, the next tier teams. Clemson, they will remain undefeated. And if they're undefeated and then the reigning national champions, they're getting in. Okay, I don't care how disappointing you think they are. Clemson's still a very good team. They just haven't lived up to the ungodly hype that they had coming into the preseason. They're still very good. They're going to be undefeated. They're getting in. So that's already one spot gone. We only have three left. We have three spots left, and I'm actually going to erase Clemson from our little... We have six teams here because they're, they're going to get in. Okay, so that's one team. We currently have six teams here vying for three spots. Now let's look at the next tier teams. Oklahoma, Oregon, both one lost teams on the outside looking in. Uh, immediately. As a matter of fact, let me pull up the AP Top 25 because I don't have it currently sitting in front of my face. I think that would probably help a great deal if I had it sitting right here on my laptop. So we have Oregon. We have Oklahoma with one loss. It is loading. We spared no expense for our Wi-Fi here at our multi-million dollar recording studio. Okay, so I actually just stopped recording and waited for the thing to come up so I can have it in front of me, but we're back. Um, so we have Clemson's already in. One, one spot is taken. We have six teams left, being LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, Florida, Oregon, Oklahoma. Okay, those are, those are our six teams. We still have teams like Utah, who has one loss, who's on that third tier. And this is the tier where I'm saying they're probably not getting in, but they are in the mix. Utah, um, Auburn. They have two losses. They're probably getting. That's as far as we're going to go. Auburn's at number 11. And those are the teams that I feel are really going to have a chance to get in. We're going to stop at 11. Auburn's probably not going to get in with two losses. It's never happened before that a two-loss team has gotten in the college football playoffs. You can actually erase them. I think Oklahoma's done. I think the Big 12 lost their opportunity to have a, uh, a representative in the college football playoff. Because, like I said, there's going to be at least... Um, to one one lost team from the SEC and the Big Ten that are going to be non-conference champions, and this is where things start to get confusing. How do you compare a one-loss Big Twelve champion against a one-loss non-SEC champion? Um, oh yeah, one-loss non-SEC champion. How do you how do you um, compare those two teams? Let's just say Alabama loses. Okay, let's just say uh, LSU wins against Alabama, then they beat Alabama again. Or excuse me, and then Alabama wins in the SEC title. Then you'd have two one-loss teams from the SEC. You'd have conference champion Alabama and non-conference champion LSU. Both have beaten each other. Are you really going to put in Oklahoma over LSU or Alabama? It's not happening. That's not going to happen. Are you going to put Oklahoma over Alabama if they lose twice? Or LSU should they lose twice to Alabama? Either if they beat each other two times. And this is where I say things are going to start to get confusing. You're not putting in, uh, excuse me, uh, Oklahoma, even over a two-loss LSU team. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or a two-loss Alabama team. Because when you look at those, that one loss that Oklahoma has, ugly against Kansas State, and you compare that to two losses to LSU, to the same team, it's, it's hard to say that Oklahoma has a better resume, than it, especially playing in uh, the SEC. And then you look at LSU's resume. Already beaten Texas, already beaten uh, Florida, potentially have beaten Alabama and split that series. 
There's no way that I think Oklahoma's done. Should they run the table, it doesn't matter. They're not getting in. Uh, Utah, number nine. I think they're going to lose this week anyway. And yet they'd still have to go through Oregon. That would actually be a very interesting conference championship should Oregon and Utah run the table from here on out and then meet in the Pac-12 title. One of those teams is going to have a very good uh, resume win. You'd have a conference championship over a top 10 opponent. One of those teams is going to have a very good uh, argument to get into the playoff. You have Florida sitting at one loss. They will play Georgia this week, as we've already said, in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. One of those teams will be eliminated. I don't think a two-team, a two-loss team will get in this year, unless, again, you're less, unless you're in that S tier, if you're Alabama or, um, excuse me, LSU, and you lose to that same team twice. That's the only way, and even still, it's going to be a long shot. It's going to be because again, you have to think if you were to lose that game twice. Then that would mean you'd have lost your last game of the season, and that's usually the kiss of death for the committee. It'd be if only if there was a team that had a chance to get it. It'd be either of those two teams, and that it would still be a long shot. Then you have uh, Ohio State and Penn State. They're going to play each other. One of those teams is going to lose, and then we don't know how things are going to shake out for the rest of the season. And then the Big Ten championship. So there is a lot that is left to be undecided. I will give you my college football playoff standings. Currently, and they're going to change from week to week. Number one, I think the best team in the nation, I don't think anyone's going to argue with me, the LSU Bayou Bengals. They're the best team in the nation. As long as, if, they, if they lose this week to Alabama, I think they're still getting in. They can, they can survive a, a loss to the number two team in the nation on the road. They'll, they'll be okay. And I, think, I still think they're the better team, even if uh, Tua Tagovailoa uh, is ready to go. Uh, it would be next week, so we'll still have some clarity on that scenario uh, come next Thursday. Uh, LSU, number two. And this is, if I were the committee and the playoff were this, if let's just pretend um, today's selection Sunday and I'm the whole committee, which may be a nightmare for some people and may be a blessing for other people. And by for other people, I just mean me. Um, and this is, this is what the playoff would look like right now for me personally. LSU, number one seed. Number two seed, Ohio State. I think they've been the next best team in the country. They're the most well-rounded team in the country, I would argue, uh, behind LSU. And I think they've had a better uh, resume thus far than Alabama. And I've liked what I've seen from them a little bit more. I'd put Ohio State number two. No need to panic, Tide fans. They're coming in at number three. I know it's huge disrespect to say that Alabama is the third best team in the nation, but I put them there at number three. And this, um, this is where things start to get a little bit tricky. At this point in time, at this very moment, you'd have to put in Penn State over Clemson. You just have to. And there are five teams in the top five that are all that are undefeated. The top five teams in the nation are all undefeated. It's LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Penn State. Penn State is still undefeated. And this is where things start to get really confusing. What do you do if because you're gonna have one loss, LSU slash Alabama, you're gonna have one loss, Ohio State slash Penn State. Which of those teams do you give the edge over? Or which, one, which of those teams do you knock out for Clemson? Because Clemson is probably going to be undefeated this year. Would you give the edge to Clemson? Would you put them in at number four over Penn State, who has one loss in the season, but it's to Ohio State? And if they were to only have one loss, that means they'd have to have beaten Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. Again, the same goes for LSU and Alabama. Things are going to get very crowded in the top six and seven. That's why I don't think Oklahoma is going to climb back up there. I don't think even or even Oregon will will get back in there because they'd have to leapfrog Ohio State, Penn State, Clemson. They'd have to leapfrog a bunch. Of, there are going to be teams left out this year. And again, what's the day? Oh, Halloween, October thirty first. At this moment in time, this is where we stand. Teams are going to lose twice. Okay. LSU's up there at eight. No, they could lose twice. They could lose three times over the course of the season. The same goes for Ohio State, Penn State, Florida, Oregon. At this moment in time, I would put Penn State over Clemson. I would because I think they've had a better resume. They've played in a deeper conference by far than Clemson has. Things are going to change. Penn State could lose to Ohio State, vice versa. Penn State could lose twice. They could lose to Ohio State and then have another horrific loss towards the end of the season and then cost themselves that chance and then free things up. Right now, it's too crowded. I would put Penn State. And you have two, you look at the playoff, you'd have two teams in the SEC and two teams from the Big Ten in the playoff. That has never happened. 
we'd have multiple representatives from the same conference, but we have never had just two conferences in the playoff and it'd be an SEC Big Ten challenge because you'd have LSU and Penn State and you have Alabama and Ohio State uh, in that one and four and then two and three matchups. And you'd have their first two out, in my opinion, would be Clemson number five and then Florida number six. That's just the way I see it. And I could I could put Oregon at number seven. Georgia is not getting in. And after that, after there's only seven teams fighting for about three spots right now. Okay, because even though I said Clemson's getting in earlier, but at this very moment in time, over the at the end of the season, if they're undefeated and the team has one or two losses, it's going to be hard for you to not put in the reigning national champions. And maybe the committee does change their mind. Maybe they say, are they amongst the best four teams in the country? This is where strength of schedule comes in. Can we definitively say that an undefeated Clemson team is better than a one-loss Penn State or a one-loss Alabama or a one-loss LSU? Or a one-loss Oregon. Because what if Oregon runs the table from here on out? They could. I think they're going to win this week at USC. And then they would have a potential. They need Utah to win big time this week if they want another resume, another game to add to their resume because they would have beaten a, number, a, top, a top 10 team in a conference championship. That's another resume win uh, for Oregon. I think it's going to come down to about seven teams. Six teams, really. Because I think someone's probably definitely going to lose. It's going to come down to six teams for about four spots. Excuse me, three. Because one team will remain undefeated, if nothing else. Whether it's LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State. SEC and the Big Ten control the entire nation right now. I think the Big 12 is out. I think the Pac-12 is hanging by a thread, but probably out. I think you'd have to give the edge to Clemson over Oregon. Only because they are the reigning national champions. That's it. No other reason, but they are the reigning national champions. They would have to get that edge over Oregon, I feel. I think Oregon would probably be the first team out at the end of the year. At this moment in time, October 31st, Clemson is the first team out. I, I, don't, I, I haven't seen that they're definitively better than Penn State. Penn State right now, James Franklin's got them rolling, and they will have a serious test in three weeks' time against Ohio State. That is going to clear up a lot of things or potentially muddy them up because they will meet again and you have to watch the big the championship week is going to have a big um, factor in deciding the top four teams in the nation. And I get this is why people say we need to expand to eight. We need 16, 32, 64, whatever. It, it, too many teams are getting left out. It's too crowded. I think this is what makes it. I think this is the beauty of college football is that we have these debates and that there are teams that, are, that get left out. I think that actually makes it more exciting because right now you have Georgia in the playoff, because the AP ranking right now is LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Penn State, Florida, Oregon, and then Georgia at number eight. In this eight-team format, Utah and Oklahoma would be the first two teams out. Do we really think Utah and Oklahoma are worthy of that designation currently? Probably not. On the other hand, by these rankings, not my rankings, but the AP, it's LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. The first two teams out are Penn State and Florida. And then you have Oregon. Like, it's extremely uh, competitive. You'd have an undefeated team out of the playoff currently. And some people say, that's terrible. How, how could you, why would you want that? I argue, why would you want mediocre or mediocrity in the back half of the playoff? I think it's more, co- and again, I don't know how many times I have to say it. We're only just over the halfway point of the season. There's still a lot of games to be played. Things are going to change at this moment in time. I feel Penn State is the fourth best team in the nation. I would put them over Clemson. And again, Penn State could lose. They could lose twice. They could go undefeated. At this moment in time, I have LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Penn State in the college football playoff. And now it's time for the quote of the week. We do this every single show. We like to close it out with uh, the best quotes I heard from the previous week. And we like to call it, the quote of the week. So there we go. We have it uh, aptly named. So here we go. Let's close it out real strong. This uh, Halloween episode. Where are my notes? This Halloween episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. Quote. Be back soon. Stephen Curry on breaking his hand. It's the second week in a row now where we've had a Stephen Curry quote for the quote of the week. Now, we're not totally selling out and becoming a Warriors podcast, but I, last year was last week was pretty interesting because they had the Michael Jordan thing. It wasn't really a beef, um, so to speak. Michael Jordan saying Stephen Curry is not a Hall of Famer. At this moment in time, Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry saying 
If you ask him again, I think he'd probably change his mind. Now this week, just how quickly things can change, the Warriors have been struggling. They've been getting beat down by teams left and right. We're only about five games into the year. You're already missing Klay Thompson. What Steve Kerr says is probably for the entire season. Kevin Durant's not coming through the door. He's on the other side of the country. And you lose the spine of your team, Stephen Curry. The face of the franchise. This is not good. And I hate to start overreacting only one week, maybe two and a half weeks into the season. The Warriors are not making the playoffs. They're not going to get in the playoffs because they're not getting over Dallas. Dallas is on a tear right now. And we had this, this, uh, our preseason playoff teams uh, about two weeks ago, like right before the season started. We had Sacramento in there, and they haven't even won a game. But I have more faith in Sacramento than Golden State right now because Sacramento is healthy. Now, while they do have the burden of Luke Walton, they have the pieces. They have De'Aaron Fox. They have uh, Buddy Heald. They have Marvin Bagley. I have faith that they'll turn it around over the course of the season. When Stephen Curry comes back, and I don't know how long this injury is going to be, let's just say three to six weeks. Over the next three to six weeks, what shape is Golden State going to be in by the time Stephen Curry comes back? And they have D'Angelo Russell. I get it. They have Draymond Green. That could be a liability or an asset at this point. I don't know how you could say that they're going to be amongst the best eight teams in the West. I don't. They're, they're, probably, they're going to miss the playoffs this year. I'm selling all my stock on Golden State. If Stephen Curry was still there, even as bad as they've been playing with Stephen Curry, I'd probably still have a little bit of faith because he's an NBA champion. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, according on, depending on who you may ask. Um, I'd have a little bit more faith in the Warriors if they had Stephen Curry and they've been playing horrendous with him. It's not going to get better without him. They're not going to turn it around and, and, and create a rallying cry. That's a team that hasn't won a title. When you lose one of your stars and, you, and everyone's writing you out, counting you out, that's a team that hasn't accomplished anything and has something to prove. The Golden State Warriors have proven everything and more. They're not going to have that kind of kumbaya, rallying cry, us against the world mentality. It, it's over. Quite frankly, it, it, it's over. They're going to fall way too far behind by the time he gets there. Let's just say, for the sake of the argument, Clay Thompson shows up. What is the state of the Golden, War- Golden State Warriors going to be by the time he gets there? And that's not going to be till February, March, April. May not even come back. It, it, this is a problem. If you want to be talking about Halloween, the scariest thing that could happen to the Golden State Warriors just happened last night. Their last chance, their silver bullet, was expended last night. It's over. It, quite frankly, it's, it's over for the Golden State Warriors. If you're a Golden State Warriors fan... You woke up sick to your stomach, and you're terrified. On Halloween, you're terrified for all the wrong reasons. The Golden State Warriors are finished, at least for this year. I'm not going to pronounce the dynasty dead. Well, I guess the dynasty, because a dynasty is, what, three titles in four years, three and three, three and five. Like, it has to be consistent titles within a certain time frame. They didn't win last year. They're not going to win this year. How is, I think the dynasty has already been finished. This was just the final nail in the coffin. It's the worst thing that could have happened in the Golden State Wars. And some people are so, I mean, cynical. They're saying this is what they get. They've had all the luck in the world. First off, how could you ever wish injury upon a player? That's unspeakable. Number two, I will say things are kind of collapsing before their very eyes. Like everything that that could have gone wrong for the Golden State Warriors post or like since the finals has gone wrong. Kevin Durant injured, he's out for the year. Klay Thompson gets injured, he's out for the year. Then Kevin Durant leaves, and then you're trying to you're trying to form a rallying cry. You bring in D'Angelo Russell to try and hold down the four a little bit. Stephen Curry gets hurt. Now it's up to Steve Kerr and D'Angelo Russell, and it has not worked thus far to the season. Maybe this is a plus for D'Angelo Russell, being the lone ranger out there. There might be some confusion between him and Stephen Curry as far as coexisting. I don't think he's going to transform this franchise back to one of the upper echelon teams in the West, let alone in the NBA. I think the Warriors dynasty is uh, it's on life alert right now. It, it's, it's on life support. It's in hospice. It's, it's getting real ugly for basketball fans in San Francisco, no longer even in Oakland. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe they got to move back to Oakland. All the luck was in 
was in the, the Roracle Arena. They got to go back there. Might be a little bit too late for that. So that's going to take us to the end of our episode this week. Appreciate you guys stopping by and sticking around. I would super appreciate if you downloaded on iTunes, if you shared this podcast on iTunes, if you tell your friends about it. Really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Enjoy the games this weekend. We've got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. That's going to be tons of fun. Uh, even if you're there or if you're just watching, it should be a very good football game. So we can get good games on Sunday. Then we have the NBA regular season. So that's always tons of fun too. So I will talk to you guys next week. That's our show. Drive safely.